this morning, uh, we're going to start part two of our series called Mastermind. Um, if you missed last week's message, I don't know if you know this, we say it often, but sometimes we miss a couple people. Uh, we actually publish it online so that you can listen to it. You can go to our website to listen to it. You can listen to us on iTunes or on other services that are posted on our website. So we encourage you to do that because we don't want you to miss a step in a series. Um, it's really important. So last week, uh, we started the new series by me encouraging you to be self-aware to be thinking about what you think about. So I hope that this week you thought about what you thought about, um, and hopefully that prevented some catastrophe in your life. Um, I know uh, we all fail and mess up. I know I did this week, uh, but I have hope that the Lord is going to continue to strengthen me and help me in those areas so that I can think before I speak, before I act, and all of those things. Uh, wouldn't, wouldn't the world be such a better place if everyone thought before they spoke, yes. right? And thought before they acted, it would be a better place for sure. Uh, so would every church, right? The world would be better, everyone would be better. Um, the truth is though, we have two enemies. And so as we talk about mastermind, we're talking about changing your thinking to help you change your life. And we've got two enemies. We have an external enemy, an outside enemy, and we've also got an internal one. We're really good friends with the internal enemy. Um, most of the time, these two enemies team up together against your spiritual growth. They are attempting not, not just your own desires, but the enemy without the one on the outside is also attempting to thwart your spiritual growth. They're, those enemies that are against you are trying to undermine what God's will and his desire is for your life. So for clarity, let me tell you though that the external one is not your boss. Okay? It's not your spouse. It's not the last, the current, or the future president of our United States. It's not your kids. It's not your neighbors. The external enemy is the devil himself and the things and people used by him. You know, I've actually met some believers, some Christians in the body of Christ who have allowed the devil, the enemy of God, to use them. You say, what? Yeah. Now, they didn't wake up that morning and say, oh, Satan, use me today. They didn't do something like that, and I hope that doesn't offend your sensibilities. God knows that wasn't an honest prayer, uh, but they sure acted like that's how they prayed that morning, right? Am I preaching the truth here? Have you ever met somebody like that, Pastor? Okay, all right, I know you have. So he, the devil, the enemy of God is the enemy of his people as well, and he is called the tempter, in Matthew chapter four, the internal enemy is you. So we've got to remember that there is an enemy, there is a war and a battle going on. And I think for us here in the United States, I think it's really easy because we don't have persecution, not, not in the least 
compared to other places around the world when it comes to our faith. Yes, there's an attack, and yes, there is a war that's waging, and yes, court decisions and school boards and all sorts of things are in motion to try to make things happen that the enemy is pleased with, that God's not pleased with, but we are not under persecution like those around the world are, and in the absence of that persecution, it's easy to forget that we are at war. And the war really is in between your ears. Your mind, I referenced this book last week and told you that I'd be getting some seed thoughts out of Joyce Meyer's book, The Battlefield of the Mind. I encourage you to get it on Kindle, uh, buy it on Amazon, read it. If you read it before, read it again. It's a very good book that helps you understand that your mind really is a battlefield. The truth is, if you don't control what you think, then you'll never control what you do. Um, I don't know if you've ever used the excuse, but I know that little kids uh, were notorious for this for a season, and I know it became popular. Well, the devil made me do it. (laughs) Well, there are other things at work besides just the devil. You have control over your mind, and when you control your mind correctly, according to the word of God, you will be able to control your actions. Speaking of thinking, um, I was thinking (laughs) about... Um, a game that my dad used to play with me. He still does, if not, not on the phone, but when we're in personal contact and in the same room or driving to the same place in the same car. He started it when I was little and Madeline, who's not feeling very well, is here today and she can attest to the fact that I play the same game with them. And that game is this. Hey, what are you thinking about right now? thank you for answering okay if I asked several people it would be like I'm thinking about lunch I'm thinking about how much sleep I need or whatever I'm thinking about work but so my dad used to ask me this question we'd just be driving somewhere we'd be listening to music having a conversation whatever and then he'd just stop and he would say just spout out hey what are you thinking about right now and there are times if my dad listens to this message he probably knows I lied because I didn't want to tell him what I was thinking about right (laughs) Okay, so, but here's the thing though, and I play it with my kids um, a little bit here and there as well. And I say, hey, what are you thinking about right now? Because for my dad, it was a, it was a conversation opener. You know, it just kind of like dove into, hey, what are you thinking about? What's important to your brain right now? And let's talk about that. And so in times like that, in conversations like that, we were able to unpack a lot of, um, a lot of things for life, you know? And so thinking about thinking, <laughs> I wanna talk about some of the terms that we should define for what we're talking about today. Because what I wanna do is I really want us to tackle temptation. I want us to be able to today find out what the truth is about temptation and how to overcome temptation. If we're talking about the mastermind, having a mind that's built on Christ and the principles of God's word, we've got to talk about temptation and sin. So let's define some terms. The first one is sin. This is anything that's done in thought, word, or deed that God disapproves of. His definition of sin has not changed. Our culture has definitely changed, and there have been times throughout history that we have 
completely gone in the opposite direction. We're going in one of those now where we are saying that's not sin, that's okay. And we're saying you can do whatever you want to and still serve God. But the truth of the matter is every page of scripture that talks about sin or disobedience to God talks about these things that are done in thought, in word, or in deed. I was listening to Pastor Belser um, from Morrison Heights this past week, his recent message, and he talked about the tongue. He said in his, and I checked it out myself, in Proverbs it says that there are abominations, things that God hates, and he lists seven of them. Five of them have to do with this. Five of the things God hates has to do with your words, which are produced by your mind. So whatever we're, we're doing in our thoughts, in our words, and in our actions that come out that is against God or God disapproves of, it is sin. And I've had ministry with teenagers for years. I know exactly what comes into some people's minds. It still comes into their minds even today as grownups. Well, God doesn't say anything in his word about fill in the blank. Yes, he does. Whatever it is that we face in this life, we can find God either has direct commands in his word or there are principles inside of his word that should guide us. When we think about money, God doesn't tell us everything to do with money, but he does say, be generous to the poor, be compassionate, tithe, give to the, like there's a lot of stuff in the word of God that principally can guide and direct how you form a budget. I mean, something that simple. So sin is anything that God disapproves of. Temptation is the thing that we'll define next. It is the enticement. I got this definition here from Webster's 1828 Dictionary. It's one of my favorite reference tools to use for a definition because Webster in every one of those 1828 definitions lists a Bible verse or a biblical reference for every single word that's there. It's pretty awesome. And so he lists this as his definition, enticement to evil proceeding from the prospect of pleasure or advantage. We could say that it's the solicitation of human desire. You see this in the Garden of Eden. Anybody ever heard that story? Raise your hand, wave at me, okay? You see that in the Garden of Eden. You know that we as humanity, as humans, were tempted for our own pleasure and our own advantage oh, God didn't really say that. God, you won't really die here. Take a little bit of this. You'll get smarter. You'll get wise. You'll be able to know. And then they gave in. That same temptation shows up even now, thousands of years later, but it showed up for Jesus in Matthew chapter four, and we'll read that later on, where the enemy himself shows up and tempts Jesus Christ himself and says, just lays out his case to entice him to pleasure and perceived advantage. So that's what we're talking about when we're talking about tackling temptation and talking about the truth of it. A successful temptation that is one that leads to sin requires the cooperation of the individual that's been tempted. I wanna say something very clear to you. Temptation is not sin. Our definitions we just looked at, they do not describe each other they describe individual traits or actions. So we have got to understand that temptation is not sin. The sin happens when we yield to the temptation rather than running from the temptation. We're all human. 
We will all be tempted until the day we die. We will be tempted in these earthly physical constraints that we have. We will be tempted. But did you know you could go a day and live in victory over temptation? That's something that should give us hope. It should give us a lot of hope and that understanding of being able to live victoriously because see, the person tempted must yield or make a decision to yield to the sin in order for it to be committed. I believe that it's possible that you and I can live victoriously over temptation. I really truly do believe that. I believe that even if you've suffered with a temptation for years and years, God can take you from glory to glory, from a, from a good place to a better place of strength and resolve against temptation, even if it's a chronic temptation. See, the thing is, we have these things inside of us. We have these desires. We have a past. We have all of these things that contribute to what we like or what we want, and the devil knows that. Hello? And you know that because you've trained your mind and you've, you've lived your life. I mean, it's pretty simple. I know that sounds like really educated, but you've lived your life. And so you know what pleasure or advantage that you seek in those times. And so today I wanna give you some practical ways to live victoriously when you face temptation. Temptation happens in the mind and we need to learn how to master it. Here's what I wanna say to you today. Filling your mind, this might surprise you, but filling your mind with God's word will not eliminate temptation. It won't. But it will give you victory over temptation. You say, well, I thought that was just gonna be magic or a miracle, or if I just read enough Bible verses, it would go away. No, you're in a physical human body that has constraints that still will have desires, but God's word wants to give you the strength and the tools you need to overcome temptations. Let me give you some common temptations, not exhaustive, because here's the deal. When you come into church and you hear a message about temptation and sin, you might be thinking about the dirtiest, ugliest, worst thing people can do. But we often don't think about things like anger. There's a temptation to be angry. I was in McDonald's. Don't go there. I was in McDonald's. Well, I was in the drive-thru this morning waiting on my Egg McMuffin. Waited seven minutes at a fast food place for my Egg McMuffin. When I got my Egg McMuffin, now the, the backstory is I was a shift supervisor in McDonald's during college. So I, I know the ins and outs. I know they've changed some of their products, but I know what stuff is called. And I know what I'm supposed to be eating <laughs> when I get an Egg McMuffin. It's supposed to have a round egg on it with Canadian bacon or ham, as they call it, with cheese. Well, I ordered two of those this morning. And what I got was an Egg McMuffin that was, a, not an Egg McMuffin, was a muffin that was covered in butter that had a, two slices of cheese and folded scrambled eggs with no meat. And I was like, <clears throat> hey, can you talk to your kitchen crew? Cause like, so then I waited, the total time was 11 and a half, almost 12 minutes for me to, there was a temptation for me to be angry. But I just said, you know what? I'm just gonna go viral with this and tell my whole church, don't eat it, make the, no, I'm kidding. 
revenge is sweet. No, I'm sorry, that's a temptation, okay? But anger is a temptation. When they cut you off, when you don't get the, the, um, the increase in pay, when you don't get the, the raise or whatever it may be, when your wife or your husband, hopefully you only have one, it's okay. Uh, when, when they yell at you or when you get into an argument, there's a temptation for anger. The Bible says that you can be angry, but don't sin in your anger. Don't harm someone with the words you say and the actions you, you do. There's a temptation for depression. You say, I thought that was just a medical thing. Well, there's a temptation for us to feel pity poor me. And yes, there are medical things, but depression, there's a temptation there for us to give in. There's a temptation to fear. Fear what lies tomorrow, what, what tomorrow holds or what I'm gonna do about whatever. There's a temptation to be discouraged. If you've ever seen the look in someone's face who didn't get first and they're waiting or you think about like a singing competition and they're announcing the winner, you ever zoom in your eyes and your focus on that person who whose name didn't get called, it's disappointing. What am I gonna do now? I've come all this way and now what? So there's a temptation for us to be discouraged. We can be discouraged in our faith. We can doubt God. There's a temptation for impatience. Can I get an amen? I like efficiency. I like efficiency, which means I'm not that patient. There's a temptation for laziness. Think about this. Pride, lust, apathy, inaction. We talk about these things that would be active things that we do, but listen to me, there's a temptation for me to sit back and be a spectator and to not do. It's that temptation that says, oh, well, somebody else is gonna handle this. I I heard a horrific, horrific story this week about something that happened in New York City and a woman had called out for help and she had done so for several minutes and no one responded. And when they interviewed the people around in the neighborhood, it was they all thought Bill, Bob, and Joe were going to do it. They thought someone else was gonna be there. So there's this temptation to be, well, it's not my place, it's not my business, I don't wanna get involved, or hey, what about this if we put the application to the church? Uh, I just wanna come, but I don't really wanna. There's a temptation for greed, for materialism, stealing, whether it's from other humans or from God. You say, pastor, I thought, I came here to be encouraged today, and you're just listening to all the stuff that I think about. Stealing, whether it's from humans or God, all matters of money. Think about gluttony, gossip, hate, envy, revenge, like I just got on McDonald's. I mean, just kidding. Uh, grudges, lying, idolatry. The Bible actually says that God was pursuing his people, and this is his promise. I want you to get this. If you, if you literally walked out today and never stepped foot in another church again, this single truth could motivate you to a depth in your relationship with God that you don't have currently right now. He's only ever always wanted to be with you. That's really all this is. And so when I talk about idolatry, he's been pursuing his people and he's like, why are you treating me like I'm the bad guy? You're running around to these other gods of these other nations. And we think, well, we don't have statues in our house. We still have idols. 
We still have stuff that we serve and prioritize over him. I'm listening to a series on Exodus and I I love this thought, which is Moses is standing there with God and he's like, but I, I mean, he's given all these excuses and God says, but I will be with you. Like that should give you confidence to be able to go. And then when he tells the people, I'm gonna lead you and his presence is with them in the Old Testament. And now Acts chapter two says that it went from a fire in the wilderness to a fire inside, that the Holy Spirit can live inside of you and his presence be with you. But we can tamper that or we can cause that to die out, his presence and influence in our life if we continue to say yes to temptation and no to God. There's a temptation to cheat, to cheat on your test, to cheat on your marriage. There's a temptation to cheat and your boss, whatever it is, there's a temptation to not trust God. I'm faced with that. We all have at some point been faced with that. These are different temptations that we, and to do things our way instead of God's way. Just think about the stories in the Bible that we find. Just think about Abraham God says, I'm gonna do this awesome thing. I'm gonna give you many generations will come out of you and every nation of the earth is gonna be blessed. And he says, okay, how's that gonna happen? God tells him and he says, no, I'm not sure about that. And him and his wife make a plan and then they they cause their own disaster because they did things their way instead of God's. Temptation is really deceiving. If you snack on it, it'll eventually eat you for lunch. That's, that's the truth of it. So what is your number one temptation? Turn to your neighbor and tell them what, I'm just kidding, I'm just kidding. First thing you need to do is this, is to see what God says about it. The Bible does say in James, confess your sins. It doesn't say confess your temptations. So see, see what God says about it in his word though. If you say, yes, I feel like I'm always given to anger. If you say, yes, I feel like I'm always kind of covetous and wanting the things that other people have, then see what God's word says about it. That's the first thing we ought to do because when we're faced with temptation, we need to be in his word. And when we look in his word and we see these temptations and they are all over throughout the Bible, envy and all these other things, anger, all this stuff, When we look at that, we've got to consider what the origin is, what the consequences were for that person, and then we've got to think, how did they, in some of their cases, how did they overcome it? Because I can look at that and I can gain some hope. I can also avoid some pitfalls if I can look at what decision they made that was poor to give in to temptation and say, you know what? Instead of that, I'm going to do this. Let me give you an example. Do you guys know the story of David and Bathsheba? Okay, David, it says this famous line, which is really telling in the the word of God when it gives that story. It says, at the time of the year when kings went out to war, David stayed home. It's that time that he's walking around his roof because he's bored, not doing what he's supposed to be doing, that then he gives in to the temptation with her. So if I look at that, then I've got to say, okay, I need to be always doing what God has given me a task to do. I need to be surrounding myself with people who would give me some checks in my life in these areas. Do you see what I'm saying? 
So here's, here's what I want to do. I want to lay out some scripture for you today that will help you understand a little bit better about this idea of temptation. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. This is what God's word says. It says, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. I want you to leave that verse on the screen. Do you see it says God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability? There are people who have read this verse and actually given out fake news to the entire kingdom of God and they've said something stupid and that is God won't give you more than you can handle. Have you ever read a page of the Bible? Right? I mean, seriously. God gives me more than I can handle all the time. What's the point of that? The point of that, I keep asking you, what is the point of that? The point of that is this, that God's strength would be made perfect in my weakness, that his grace would be found sufficient in my life. I'm gonna preach today and tell you this is the truth. It's for you to lean, look, and focus only on him and to realize how pitiful and broken and bad off you really are without him. So God always gives you more than you can handle. Don't believe that lie. Read the Bible, okay? There's hope for us though. Listen to this. God will never dangle the carrot in front of you if you can't handle and doesn't give you a way of escape in that moment. There's always a way of escape. There's a doorknob to be twisted and turned. There's a car to get in. There's a way out. There's some way out of whatever you're facing as your temptation, Hebrews chapter two, verse 18 says that Jesus is the one who is our hope. Look at this. It says, for he, for because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. So God, God sent Jesus to this earth to live in a human body, to be fully God and fully man, to endure temptation like us, so that, and he, it says he suffered when he was tempted and he is able to help those who are being tempted. Look at what Hebrews 4.15 says. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted just as we are, yet without sin. Don't give me the line here. I, I wanna stop here for a second. Don't give me the line or don't have this thought. I'm trying to help you think correctly. Don't have the thought in your mind that, oh, well, he was fully God. Of course, God gave him the power. I mean, that's just, I mean, that's how it, he was still a human in human flesh. He had people probably saying things to him all the time that would tempt him. He had broken, corrupt tax collectors who got saved, but you know what? They still had temptations of that old life. I'm sure there was opportunity for him to accept bribes or walk into the kingdom now here with himself in the, those days rather than waiting and actually letting God's will play out in his life. 
and I have to say this, if he had prostitutes, you, there's not a whole lot of ugly ones, there are some, but if he had prostitutes coming to visit him and pour ointment on his feet and rub it with their hair, there's gotta be temptations that he faced that all of us face. Do you understand what I'm saying? It goes from money to relationship to every aspect in between that he faced it. He's not unable to sympathize with you. And he does more than just feel bad. He gives you a way out. Listen to what happens in Matthew chapter four. Chapter four, verse two, it says this. And after fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Yep, you would be too. Some of you are hungry right now and you (laughs) ate less than four hours ago. Verse three, and the tempter came and said to him, if you are the son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. That word if is so powerful. The tempter was actually tempting the son of God with doubt in his father. So don't think that he just came for Jesus. He came for all of us. So it says, if you're the son of God, make these stones become bread. Verse four, but Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Verse five, then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, again, if, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down for it's written, he will command his angels charge over you and on their hands, they will bear you up lest you strike your foot against a stone. I want you to understand the battle that is taking place in this passage of scripture. The devil didn't show up and just say, hey, will you show me all your tricks? Turn these rocks into, no. He was appealing to an inner need in the man, Jesus, who was hungry. He's now appealing to a larger thing inside of him, that sense of being and belonging. So he is actually, the battle is this. Satan has always twisted the words of God. Did he really say... You've got something living inside of you that listens to him every once in a while. Not just your own desires, but also external. But we we don't cop out and say, the devil made me do it, or it's just because it's the devil's fault. No, it's probably your sin-sick soul that needs redemption. Jesus says to him, verse seven, again, it is written, you shall not. This translation here, the ESV it really in the original language says, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. Jesus is saying, you should not put the Lord your God to the test. Don't do this. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. Satan worships himself these days and has since the moments that he allowed thoughts in his mind to say, I wanna be bigger than the big guy. And Jesus is reaffirming the word of God that was spoken from the very beginning. You shall worship the Lord your God and only serve him. But our hearts desire something else. Verse 11, after Jesus says, be gone, 
Verse 11 says, then the devil left him and behold, angels came and served him dinner, ministered to him. So if Jesus was victorious, you can be too. Look at James chapter one, verse 12 through 15. It says, blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Verse 13, let no one say, when he's tempted, I'm being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil and he himself tempts no one. Verse 14, but each person is tempted when he's lured and enticed by his own desire. Verse 15 tells us what happens. Then desire when it has conceived gives birth to sin and sin when it's fully grown brings forth death. So we are humans, but God has given us a free will and we always have a choice to make. Choices get made in our minds, <laughs> amen? They get made in our minds. So we've got to be careful not to be enticed by our own desires. Number two is this, I've only got three, the next two will go quick. Number two is make your choice. You have a choice of victory or defeat. You say, oh, it's not that simple, pastor. Yeah, it actually is. It really is. And I don't know if you've heard any of this before in a movie or in the medical field. They talk about when adrenaline pumps through your body, there is a fight or flight sort of thing that happens and you make an immediate choice. I thought about that in preparation for this message and I thought about that as it regards temptation. Here's what God says, essentially from page, from cover to cover, he says, do both, <laughs> Fight the temptation and run from it, flee from it. A few things are at play in the midst of any temptation. The first thing is you, your past, your past choices, your, your history goes into that, things that uh, have been done to you or been done around you, all of that stuff matters. Your environment, that's definitely another thing. Um, you know, alcoholics who are no longer alcoholics don't go to bars to hang out on the weekend. Right? I mean, if you're a druggie and you get set free and you decide you're gonna start walking a straight line and not be a druggie any longer, we're talking about like deep, dark, life controlling, whatever, then you're not gonna live in the same neighborhood and still have the same friends. You're going to make a change in your environment. I was listening to a podcast this week with Dr. Phil. You guys know who that is, Dr. Phil? Catch me outside. No, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. Uh, I'm so sorry, take that off. Um, but Dr. Phil was sharing his testimony this week. I'm trying to keep it lively. He was sharing his testimony. I say testimony uh, this week. It's his life story. And he said, my father was an abusive alcoholic who was angry, destroyed our physical home, destroyed our, our human home, our, our heart home, our family, made all sorts of terrible decisions. And because of what I saw in him, I determined that I would never drink a drop. Because he said, I feel like I'm predisposed to that. I've seen it, I know what it can do. I could see like, hey, yeah, take a little bit, do, you know, chill out, whatever. But he had made the choice over 50 years ago, he says, to not pick it up. Now, I'm not talking about alcohol and all of the stuff that goes in with that. What I'm telling you is if you have something that controls your life, 
it's got to be understood that it's ourselves that are at play, also our environment. If you say, you know what, I get tempted by this all the time, whatever it might be, stop going there. If you're tempted to rob a bank and you work in one, get a new job. It's not that hard, right? The third thing is others. Birds of a feather flock together. We are connectional creatures. Misery loves company, but so does temptation and sin, <laughs> right? So we've gotta be careful about ourselves, our environment, and the ones we have around us. Listen to these last two passages of scripture as the worship team joins me. James chapter four, verses one through four says this. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and you don't have, so you murder. You cover, covet and you cannot obtain, so you fight and you quarrel. You don't have because you do not ask. Verse three, you ask and then you don't receive because you ask wrongly and then you spend it or waste it on your passions. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world makes you, this is an easy way to say it, makes you an enemy of God. Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Jumping down to verse seven and eight, it says this, submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil and he will flee from you. I think we need to have the confidence to trust in the word of God that God really is who he says he is and that what he said he really means. He didn't say, and about seven out of 10 times, when you resist him, he'll leave. You gotta put up with him the other. No, he said, resist him. The word of God says through James, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Verse eight says this, again, it's all about his presence in our lives. Draw near to God and he'll draw near to you. And then there's actions on our parts. Cleanse your hands, wash up, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. It's interesting there, he engages, James' text there engages the physical nature of a, of a person. Cleanse your hands than the internal of your heart, but he talks about being double-minded, thinking, I want God and all that he has for me, but I really like this. Well, you don't understand, Pastor, I've been dealing with this for years and years. I mean, I mean, I have days of victory, but then I have days where I know God is calling you to draw near to himself. The third and last point is this, once you find freedom, fight to maintain it. We've got to fight for freedom. We have to do that in our own lives, much like the military does for our own safety and for the safety of others and for freedom. We've got to do that same thing for ourselves. And gosh, it gets tiring. It gets tiring. But God's grace is sufficient. How did, he, how did Eve and Adam get tempted? How did they give in to temptation? They entertained the conversation they listened and then they acted upon it it gave distrust and curiosity and all those things but if we're talking about fighting for freedom how did Jesus walk in victory over his temptations 
he always, to use the old phrase, stole away. He went away. He's found in scripture all the time, even in the busy season of ministry, stealing time away to go and to be with his father. He says to the devil himself, nose to nose, he says, it is written. He uses God's word. The enemy actually used God's word, but God through Jesus said, it is written, be gone. So the the important part for me would be that daily time in God's presence is the best preventive and preparation for the battle that you face. If you don't spend time with God, why would you wanna bother following his statues, his rules, his laws? Why would you feel at all imposed upon if you break something that he says don't do? Why would you feel anything aching in your heart if you don't do something he's challenged you to do? You wouldn't, because you don't care. I'm not saying you don't care. I'm saying if you choose not to spend time with God, we get to that place where we just don't really care and it doesn't really affect us. But if I'm spending time like he wants to, and if I'm spending time with him like he did with Adam and Eve in the garden, like he did with the people, the children of Israel throughout the Old Testament, and as he chooses to do today in our day and age, if I'm spending time with him nose to nose, face to face with the right one, not the enemy, but if I'm spending time with God, then I'm going to be convinced of his love for me. I'm gonna be convinced that he's the one who can help fulfill my need. I'm gonna be convinced of that stuff. So we've gotta fight for freedom and we've got to spend time with him. Back in the 1980s, Nancy Reagan came out with this. And I remember I had the t-shirt as a kid because it went into schools and stuff. Say no to drugs, just say no. That was, her, that was her deal. There was a war on crack cocaine and some other stuff that happened in the 1980s and caused her to, as the first lady, to make a, a huge stand. And there's lots of money spent on educating people about drug usage. But there's always been a problem with just saying no. You've got to actually say yes to something better. You really do. There's, you, gotta, you can't just say, no, I'm not gonna get angry today. You've gotta say, God, I'm gonna find my peace in you. No, I'm not gonna be greedy or covetous or lustful or prideful or whatever. No, God, I'm gonna find my need met in you and in your presence. Close your eyes and bow your heads. I wanna pray a prayer with you today. I hope that you've acknowledged your humanity in this message and realized that the temptations you face are not given to you by God, but that he wants to give you a way of escape out of every one of them. I don't want you to feel broken and battered today and say, but pastor, I've really failed in the areas of temptation in my life. I've given in. I don't know how to say no. Don't feel bad to the point today that you feel hopeless but the bad that you feel should be conviction of the Holy Spirit saying, yes, son, yes, daughter. You have made these horrible choices, these bad decisions, but I'm with you. I can help heal. I can help walk you through to the, to the next stage in life and you can be victorious. God always offers help. Father, I pray today for each heart that hears this message 
whatever temptation we face, whatever sins we have committed, Father, I pray today that you would forgive us of our sins. Lord, let your love and your blood cover. Father, I'm asking you to strengthen your people, to give each one of us a resolve to stand firm and to stand against the enemy. And Lord, a resolve to spend more time with you.